Welcome to The Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination, Extra Blooms Edition. These Extra Blooms episodes are revisits of our past guest. My co-producer, Angela Washington, and I very often find ourselves sharing updates with each other. Oh gosh, did you see what that guest was up to? Did you see what they did? Did you see that? Did you see that? And we figured that if we get excited seeing what new things they're accomplishing, that you might too. So these Extra Blooms editions are that, a little extra where we revisit with a past guest to see what else has gone on since last we spoke. Maybe they've got a new passion project, a new idea, a new book, a new accomplishment, and we like to share that. So feel free to go to themorningglorieproject.com to listen to any previously aired episode. And we love it if you write a comment, share it out, give us a review, and let others know. Of course, you can always subscribe to The Morning Glory Project across all of the podcasting platforms. That way you just never miss an episode. So welcome to the Morning Glory Project. I'm glad you're here today, and I know that you'll love hearing from our Extra Bloom guest. I am thrilled today to welcome back to the Morning Glory Project for this Extra Blooms episode conversation with Shannon Curtis. And Shannon joined us some very early on, actually, some couple of years back with her husband, Jamie Hill. She and he are partners in life and love as well as in music. And Shannon is the beautiful singer whom I got to encounter live first and then get to know on recording later. And I urge everyone to check her out. But today, we're not talking about what we did before. You you were talking, I was interviewing you really about how to be a musician in a time of changing times when people are listening to streaming services instead of buying albums. And you and Jamie had forged sort of an, a non-traditional way. This is all pre-COVID, by the way. Uh, this non-traditional way of doing house parties and things where you you made a living doing your music in a different way. That's not what we're talking about today. Today, you posed some questions on your new book, and this is just the advanced reader copy, but Good to Me, which is available on Amazon, and an, and an album also by the same name, which is available through three streaming services and other places. But you, you and I had this conversation, and these questions arose. How will empathic people survive the troubled times we're going through right now? How do we rescue our overburdened spirits from from overlapping disasters, rising fascism, climate collapse, all of the craziness and cruelty and violence and civil unrest and insurrection, the craziness that's going on to say nothing of war and in Ukraine and other places and immigration crises at the borders where we see people suffering. How do we cope with that? And from where can we summon the power to heal ourselves, our communities and our planet? And so Shannon has created Good to Me because confronted in late 2021 with her near paralyzing anxiety brought about by the increasing fraught state of the world, she aimed her angst at her journal. Using tools she acquired in 12-step recovery, she set out on a quest for self-healing with the intention of nurturing her personal sense of peace and agency in a world on fire. So Shannon, you're not alone in the world in the angst that you were suffering. In fact, you're not even alone in this conversation with that (laughs) angst (laughs) because you and I reached a similar 
crisis point in different ways, I think, during everything that's going on. Tell me about that moment when it was just all too much for you. Mm. And you know, to be a sensitive, caring, compassionate human being in these times of so much suffering, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. If you've got your eyes open and your heart open, you can't help but be affected by the state of the world. Right. Right. Um, and so when you say describe the moment, I mean, how many thousands of moments were there where I felt that overwhelm? Uh, so many, like it, it really began in earnest for me in the 2016 election. And um, the, the following several years were just one trauma after another. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit and I just, it was almost funny how (laughs) just things were out of control. Like just, it's, it felt like, it felt like we'd accidentally ended up on the wrong cosmic timeline, you know, like, like we were suddenly in this world that shouldn't, didn't have to be this way, you know? And I, and I just, I found myself over and over again, feeling kind of just paralyzed in that thought, like, what do you, all the problems are so big. What do we even do? with ourselves, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, my job is I, I write songs and make records. That's, that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a singer songwriter. Right. And I, um, have for the last 10 years made a new album every year, written, written 10 or more songs and made an album. And I came to the end of 2021 staring down January of 2022, which is typically when I would start writing that next year's album and thinking I have nothing. I've got, I'm so consumed with worry, fear, anxiety, anger, frustration, all of it. Yes. All of that. How on earth am I supposed to open up my heart and pour out its contents in the form of music and lyrics in the state that I'm in? And also it, 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 go ahead. Well, I I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just that I'm a writer and I've written uh, three of my own and two ghostwritten books in five years that, you know, that I was on a similar pace in a different way. Yeah, and yeah. I was in the middle of writing a book um, in during, during it before, during and after the 2016 election. And eventually, I, I mean, I just, creativity took a dumper for me. It was just like, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't be present for it because I felt, I felt like I was missing several layers of my skin. I know what you mean. Like everything hurt. Yes. Every, and it was hard. And I think to be a, a creative and to produce a product, yes, some of that comes from angst. I don't mean to say that somebody angsty can't write a poem or something like that. Of course, but of for course. some, for some of us, what I, th- I think some people um, thrived in the, in that, in that they, they use their art as a, as a therapeutic thing. And some of us got, our creativity got kind of shut down or thwarted or for mm. me, I got to be like, well, what does this book even matter in these times? Who cares about this? That's totally part of it. Like I, I, I in my thought process, I'm like, how am I going to do this? Okay. If I do manage to write an album, how, how is it going to be any good coming from somebody in the state that I'm in? And then thirdly, what's the significance of making art in a time when democracy is crumbling and the world's on fire. Like, like it seemed as I was first approaching it, like this seems like a really insignificant act when there are such bigger problems out there that deserve our attention and our resources and our time and our money and all of those things. Right. And that was sort of a nadir for me. (laughs) That was like the, 
the low, the low point. How am I going to do this? And I, I honestly don't know what it was in some moment of clarity or inspiration or something. I thought to myself, you know what, what I really clearly need in my life is some, is some healing around this stuff. And, you know, I've developed a, a relationship with my audience over the last decade or so. That's pretty intimate, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of artists do, they write very personal things that a lot of people do do that. But like, you know, I, I, it dawned on me that I might be able to use this opportunity of digging into why I was so broken in the, mm-hmm. in the midst of all of this. What was your answer when you asked yourself that? Why am I so broken by this? Well, you know, it was that that's where I turned to my tools that I, that I gleaned from 12 step recovery. Um, you know, the, the last time that I felt so broken in my life was when I entered 12 step recovery nearly 18 years ago. Mm. I, I couldn't afford therapy. I was going through a really difficult time in my life and I couldn't afford therapy at the, at the time. And, uh, and someone, a friend who had begun uh, doing her own personal work in the AA program said, you know, they've got this other program for Codependence Anonymous. You know, maybe you should check them out. Had never heard of it before. Went home, Googled coda.org and did they did their little quiz that they had at the time on the front page of like, are you a codependent? And I aced the test. So, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was clear that this could be something for me. And I went to those meetings and I th- that time in my life was the last time where I lacked a sense of my own personal peace. And I lacked a sense of my own personal power in my life. And that program helped me figure out how to get to those things. And so I, it occurred to me that diving back into some of the the principles that were especially meaningful to me in my recovery early on might be useful in this circumstance. Okay. Let's get to the tools in a minute. Okay. But I want to ask about the nadir first. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) So that moment, I mean, Uh, Let me say it from me. I've been through some things. (laughs) I'm a survivor of some things Mm -hmm. that were pretty tragic and painful and um, awful Mm. and have had some profound losses in my life. And so I have, I have seen myself as a person who um, yes, with resources and help uh, has been able to cope with things. And I've been able to triumph and rise above things and go on to build a happy, lovely life in lots of ways, not without its pains, but of course, but well. And so I found that I was kind of surprised that I got knocked off my pins so much mm. this time, uh, you know, and it wasn't just that there was a pandemic because everybody, there were things that everybody was going through. Everybody was having a hard time. So I'm not comparing anybody's suffering to anybody else's it was the accumulation of it all yeah yeah it was the and it was being tuned into it that that knocked me and i think i just you know i sort of felt like that remember those old uh coyote and roadrunner cartoons you know and the, <laughs> yeah. the the coyote you know first he falls down the canyon then he hits the bottom and then the anvil <laughs> falls and then the piano and then the you know, it just kind of felt like, you know, if I could make it a funny image, that would be it. But it wasn't so funny because it really felt like an anvil and a piano and, a, and TNT uh. and everything else. And you also didn't get any dinner because the roadrunner got away. So it just all felt like that. And yeah. so there you were. Tell me about when that kind of downward scoop hit. What was your experience of it in mm. body, mind, spirit? Body. I felt tired all the time, but then also couldn't sleep. <laughs> uh, I, I, my spirit was, I felt like I was, I was scrambling every day, uh, scavenging to try to find some 
meaning or moment of peace or purpose or to, you know, like I was, I was hustling around trying to figure out what I could do. How can I, you know, Mm. but just really kind of consumed with these feelings. I, I didn't know what to do with, you know, they really, really, I was kind of, it was a similar feeling. Okay. Let me, let me relate this back to when I, when I first joined 12 step recovery, I described then, and it was a similar feeling in the, in late 2021 again, that my, I felt like I was, I was enthralled to the whims of my emotions. Like I was at the tail end of a whip that just was being whipped around Mm -hmm. by whatever new input I was getting from the world and making me feel a certain way. I I felt out of control and yet was trying so desperately to figure out how to gain control. (laughs) And these circumstances that were making me feel out of control, these big world events, these big things that were really stressing me out, I don't have access to control about any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> it was just this losing battle over and over and over again, me trying to figure out how to gain some sense of I'm in control of my life when so much was out of control. So I, it, it just was this, this cycle of like, of, of being exhausted and then uh, uh, being at the tail end of that emotional whip and then trying to figure out how to, how to gain control and then just being, anxiety ridden and then falling into exhaustion again and over and over and over, you know? Well, you know, there's another piece of it too. I think that was, and I don't know if this experience rings for you, but you know, Oh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. It drove (laughs) me a little crazy when people would say, Oh, you know, I just can't watch the news anymore. I I just have to tune out. Yeah. And on one hand, I completely understand that because the news was so upsetting and frustrating and irritating. And on the other hand, I felt like if I was going to be an activist, even a responsible voter, a participant in our society, that I needed to understand what was going on. And I kept asking myself, you know, we, many times we've asked ourselves in one way or another, if I was in 1930s Germany, as a an Aryan German, mm-hmm. uh, could I have been the person that hid Anne Frank in my attic, or would I have hidden? Would I have right. protect, been too scared and protected my children? So I think that we've been given the opportunity to answer that question for ourselves. And I felt like I needed to be a participant and present and aware. I didn't feel like I had the luxury of shutting it all out. Yes, and at the same time, it was wearing away yet another layer of my skin uh, observing it. I relate to that so much, Betsy. And that's, that was part of my thinking too, at that time. Like I can't turn away. I can't just shut this off. Like that's irresponsible. That's not the kind of person I want to be. You know, it drives me nuts when I see people living in la la land, when people are suffering around them, you know, like I don't want to be that person, but also my like hyper attention to that stuff wasn't actually producing any productive results either. Well, that's, and that's the other part of it. So I knew that for me, I needed to get to a place where I could be engaged from an emotional state, from a state within my spirit, that I could be engaged in a way that maintained my inner, my inner sense of peace and actually gave, gave me access to the power that I do have to act about around the things that matter to me. You know. Okay, so this is sounding a little like that. Uh, I call it Serenity Prayer One Hundred and One. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. the Serenity Prayer for those unfamiliar is a, is a key part of 
12 step recovery program. And, but I think also just, even if you're not in 12 step recovery at all, it's, I think of it as a less of a prayer than a sorting device, <laughs> you know, yes. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change to the courage mm. to change the things I can and the wisdom to the difference. And I found myself saying, okay, is this a courage thing? Is this a wisdom thing? Is this, mm. you know, which, which category do I need to put this in? Yeah. This, this project, the good to me project mm-hmm. was, was centered on this, the principles of the serenity prayer specifically, the, the whole thing. Um, I, it's funny, even though I was in the state of the state that, state that I described, I was in the end of 2021, uh, the serenity prayer was still a, a part of my life daily, but I, I realized that if I could dig in a little bit deeper to the ideas of things, I do have the power to change and the things that I don't and what it means to have courage around the things I do you know, that, that maybe that could help me access that state of mind that I wanted the state of mind where I could have peace within myself in the midst of these horrendous times (laughs) and have access to my power to act in ways that are meaningful. Um, I, I, that, that was the entire, the entire purpose of this project was to dig into those concepts of the serenity prayer. So that is, that mantra is sort of like the, 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 the foundation of the entire project. Yeah. Well, you talked about other tools that you employed or rediscovered or or applied in, in this new way. Can you, can you say a bit about that? Well, like I said, it was the the framework for everything is the serenity prayer. So what I did was I sort of broke apart um, aspects of the serenity prayer and, and gave myself journaling prompts to dive in specifically to each of those, those sort of like smaller concepts within the serenity prayer itself. And, um, and just kind of gave, made a little roadmap for myself to, to, to do journaling. And so I actually really haven't done a lot of personal journaling since my early recovery. Um, but I got out my, uh, my journal, <laughs> yeah, I'm showing it to you here, uh, <laughs> and just wrote in pencil, you know, uh, frantically, not frantically, just, you know, stream of consciousness sort of journaling in response to those prompts that I gave myself around each of those ideas and let whatever needed to come out, come out questions, uh, ideas about like just digging into what I was feeling, what I was facing are, are the the ways that I'm coping with this? Are they working for me? Why are they working or not working for me? Um, what do I need to let go of? You know, um, just, it was, it's easy for me to be honest with myself in my journal. It's just, it's just me in the page. And so, um, I'm not trying to front for anybody. I'm not trying to, you know, put out an image of, you don't even have to make the handwriting. Pretty. No, not at all. <laughs> Which made it interesting when I was translating my journal entries into this book, because <laughs> I had to actually decipher that. Right. Is that an A or an O? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it, it also strikes me that what you were doing and, and, and the wisdom of, of such, um, coping strategies and, and things to do is that, Worry is just like static electricity. You know, it's just this thing. But electricity put on a wire and focused has oh. some power to do something, right? Mm, yeah. And it seems like, as you describe it, that that focusing your angst, putting it in a, a place, put having a channel for it, as opposed to it being kind of free floating, mm-hmm. seemed to make it more. It, it made serenity more accessible to you, if that makes sense? Is that how you'd say it? It does make sense. I I definitely relate to what you're saying. For me, what I, the first, one of the first things I did in this project was, uh, was name the stuff that was 
really stressing me out. Like really, really like. And not with broad brush names, real specificity. Real specificity. What's the stuff that's keeping me up at night? And, and why? Like, what are the feelings around all of that? You know, because for me, oftentimes when I'm having these like generalized fears or worries, they can kind of be like the monster under the bed. Like when it's not, when the light's not on and you can't see its face and you can't name it, it's more scary. It's real scary. It has more power then. So the first step for me was to just flip on the light and be like, okay, what, what am I facing here? What am I dealing with? And then, and then I went dug into like, what are the feelings I'm having around this stuff? Like, and get really specific again about those feelings and identified for me, the two biggies were fear and anger. Those are the the base feelings, and to to hone in on the wor- the, the the fear part of it, which ties into the worry stuff you were just mentioning a moment ago, I realized that that fear, while it can be a useful emotion, like you were saying, when it's directed, when I'm sort of at the tail end of its whip, <laughs> so mm. like a, like I described earlier, it does some pretty destructive things to me. Fear is a short lived emotion. Fear is like it's it's like <gasps> that Sugar moment, high. right? Yeah. And it can kind of feel like, make you feel a little bit alive. I think that's why people watch scary movies, you know, Mm -hmm. like you you kind of get that, that burst. Right. And so, but because you kind of get that little bit of a high, so to speak with this fear emotion, even though it's unpleasant. Exactly. I felt like I was, and I discovered this in my journaling, like that I was, I I felt this need to sort of stoke the fear, like to go back for more of that, Hmm. um, which eventually turned into uh, to, to worry, right. Just keeping the fear close. Right. Hmm. Um, but as I explored what worry was doing to me, the, the image that came to my mind was that worries kind of became like keeping all this fear very close to me felt like this blanket. Like I was, like I was covering myself in a blanket of worry because if I keep the fear close, maybe I can outsmart the system. Maybe I can not be surprised the next shoe drops when the next shoe drops, you know, maybe I can like get one step ahead of feeling that insecurity that we feel about what's, what's happening around us. But that is, that's actually not the case, right? What that blanket of worry was doing for me instead was suffocating my spirit. Like Mm -hmm. it was taking away my ability to breathe and, and live and, and exist out in the open in the world. So this worry became something that just was killing me. And, and, and eventually I just sort of sink into despair, which is not a place where I'm experiencing the peace and the power that I want in my life. Once I uncovered those things, those, those aspects though, like, and this, this kind of gets to your, like the focused, the, when, when you can focus the feelings, feelings are powerful, right? Like that fear feeling when I let it take me at the end of its whip <laughs> has control over my life. It has that kind of power. However, uh, once I was able to sort of like tease out and get deeper into these, these ideas about what I have power to change and what I don't and let go of the things that are, that are, that are you know, practicing radical acceptance around things that, that are out of my power, then I could revisit the feeling of fear again. Well, and then that's where the courage can come in because then, yes. then, then the, okay, what part of this is within my control? What can I do? And I started to get real small about that. Like mm. the, the, the really big things I realized I could do very little about, um, but I could pick a corner of it. I could write postcards for a candidate. I could 
be kind with my loved ones so that they felt good. I could act in, you know, they say, think globally, act locally. I could think um, about what influence I had in my immediate world. Mm -hmm. So there, there were things that I began to shift, but you know, I want to go back to worry for a second. Yeah, Worry is just such a, I, I heard somebody once say that the word worry comes from an original Greek source that means to chew and not swallow. Like you just keep <laughs> chewing it and chewing it and chewing it. Oh, that's and, great. And my feeling about during this era has been, you know, you get a bite of something and you'd be chewing it and you hadn't yet swallowed and another bite and another bite and another. And so pretty soon you talked about it being suffocating. It, it felt like it was choking yes. in that way. Yeah. And so I, I, and yet at the same time, there are very dark things and very, there are very dark forces going on that cannot be denied there. It's not just boogeyman. There are really bad things by bad people going on. So I didn't want to be blind to that, but I also don't want to be cynical. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be hard mm -mm. and to keep yourself soft, <laughs> to keep your heart open is so counterintuitive. And yet you've done that in a way. And with this book, you've put your chin out for another different kind of a punch, but I don't think you'll get punched. It just seems that as I read through the ideas in this book, and also there are QR codes that people can use their phone on and listen to the music that you ended up creating. So you, you somehow got by the journaling process, by your 12-step practices by those self-care things, you got back to a creative place and indeed created the album Good to Me. Yeah. And created art out of the angst. Is that would that be a fair way to describe it? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The the process was really I, I gave myself these journal prompts um and wrote, wrote, wrote in my journal. And then when I was finished with with that with that journaling I went back and I spent days rereading what I had journaled and, and underlining, highlighting. And like each of those journal entries kind of became the source material for each song on the record. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to the album, um, you will listen going through sort of in a linear way through my process of identifying the stuff that was causing me to lose sleep at night, uh, naming the feelings, the coping mechanisms that I was you know, how I was dealing with those feelings, naming stuff, making an exhaustive list of the things that I don't have the power to change. That was revelatory <laughs> to make that list. And then to create a visual exercise for myself of actually letting go of those things. Wow. That was incredible. Uh, then making a list of the things I do have the power to change and then exploring the ideas of why courage might be needed to, to actually do those things. So like when you listen, you're, you will experience my own process through all of these ideas, reaching a place at the end where I really come to the conclusion and I, and I'm still living in this mindset today. And, and I want to tell you, well, that it's, cause it's not saving, over. It's saving me. No, it's not over, but it, it is saving me. It, it, even though there is still so much crap <laughs> happening everywhere, <laughs> you know, it's a very small word actually for all of it. I'm living right now from a place of genuine uh, joy in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm living from a place of feeling like I can stand on my own two feet and take a deep breath and understand that I have a, I have a place in this world and I have a place, I, ha I have, I have a purpose 
there are ways in which I can act that, that does make a difference to all of these big things that I'm keeping my eye on and paying attention to. Um, but I, but I'm living in a place from this conclusion that like, that I reached at the end of this project that, you know what, it doesn't do me any good to like run around worrying or being fearful or angry about all of this. It's not doing me or anyone else any good, but maybe this work of healing ourselves, maybe this work of like digging in and, and, and getting to the root of, of how we're feeling, letting those feelings tell us what we need and what we value and how to act on those things. So rather than not feeling them or smushing them down or pretending they aren't so. Exactly. So maybe, maybe doing that kind of, yes, exactly. Maybe doing that kind of work, maybe healing ourselves is really the best way we can be of service to each other. And maybe healing ourselves is the first and best way, maybe maybe the most fundamental building block for how we collectively make a better world on a large scale. Well, that's taking the act locally even smaller to acting locally in your own body, in your own spirit, in your own. And, you know, I I do want to say one, one thing about that that makes me a little hinky about this, not about you or your story at all, (laughs) but about this thing is that I realized that, that many of the things that I was worried about on one hand, I'm a person of great privilege compared to many people on Mm. the planet. I have a home. I have a safe relationship. I have a loving family. I have reasonably good health. I have a computer. I could talk to people. I have lots and lots of resources that some people don't have. And so I almost felt guilty being so angsty. Like, who am I to complain? There are a lot of people that have a lot less, you know, there's that kind of, you should feel so lucky, you know, because you have food on the table. How dare you? You know, there are people in India that don't, you know, it's, it's that old kind of scolding that we get. And I, I had to give myself permission to say, you know, yes, I can acknowledge that I have comforts, privileges, and some things easier than many people in this country and the world have. And that the fear and the anger and the frustration and the worry is legitimate, is caused by a real thing. I, I was less concerned with how it was going to affect me personally than how it was going to affect my kids and potential grandkids and, and other people's kids and potential grandkids yes. going on. I was really concerned about that. And I, yes, I, I want to say that's legit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. I, I think that what you're saying, like no matter what station of life you might be in, right. There's going to be stuff that is more challenging for you or in, or there's going to be, and there's going to be stuff in which you have more privilege than others, you know, like, right. like there that is true no matter if you are a billionaire or you are living in the the depths of poverty that there's still going to be somebody that's got less somebody that's got more right yeah and here's the thing like you could be you could be living in times that are just blissful maybe think think of a time i can think of a time in my life where things were going great and i still didn't have a sense of inner peace I still didn't have access to my own power, right? So it's not, this is one of the things I learned during this project actually was that, that my sense of peace and power in my life is not dependent at all on my circumstances or my station in life. Wait, 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 wait. let's say that again. <laughs> my sense, my personal sense of peace and power are not dependent on my circumstances. I have the power to access those things. They are my birthright. I 
as a being in this universe, it is my right to be at peace with myself and to live in my own power. That is just part of who we are, every single one of us. My circumstances don't uh, negate that fact. And I allow myself to believe that, that circumstances dictate those things sometimes. But again, I've lived in times in my life where things outwardly have been great and I still haven't been at peace, right? So this is a commit, the commitment to like doing the work to reconnect on a daily basis to my own sense of peace and power is something that I realize I need to make a commitment to do in hard times and in easy times, in all times, you know? Can I, can I share a quick story with you? Yes, yes. Uh, when I was in the midst of all this, I saw a, a tweet. Somebody was linking to a, a Daily Show interview with Jay Shetty, who uh, Trevor Noah was interviewing Jay Shetty. Jay Shetty um, has written a book called Live Like a Monk, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he uh, did monk training some years ago um, in India, uh, tra- was training to become a monk. And he was sharing a story in this interview about how um, as part of his training, they, they, he went with his, he accompanied his teacher on like a 72 hour train journey through India. And as part of monk training, you, you know, you buy, when you're, when you're taking a train trip, you buy the least expensive ticket because it's an act of like detaching from material things and all that. Right. So they were in the most crowded, the hottest, noisiest, busiest car. Dirtiest. Yeah. Everything. Dirt, yeah. All of that animals, people, everything right in the train. And 72-hour trip. So what he would do is at every stop, he would get off the train and find a quiet place to meditate and then get back on the train when the train was ready to go off again. And at one of the stops, his teacher stopped him and said, inquired why he kept getting off the train to meditate. And he explained why, because I'm going to find a quiet place to do it. And the teacher said to him, do you think life is like the stops or is life like the train? And the lesson in that is that we need to figure out if we want to be involved in real life, <laughs> where the where real life is happening, right? And we're not checking out, you know, in our numb corner of numbness or ignorance or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but we're living real life. If we want to access our own sense of peace and our own sense of power in the midst of real life, we've got to figure out how to do it regardless of the circumstances around us. How to meditate on the train. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to be on the train, you know, like that's where I want to be. I want to be with my people moving forward. Like this is where we're at. It's possible for us to have that. Yeah. It's ours. I've always thought of it as refueling in midair. Yeah. You know, when you, <laughs> you know, you don't get to land the plane, you know, you've seen those things where they actually refuel a, an airplane in the, or a rocket or whatever. It might be in the middle mm-hmm. of the air. I think of mm-hmm. it that way too. Well, Shannon, this book is not um, a book just to read. It's a book to do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a book that has questions and it invites thought. It invites listening to music that supports what you're doing. It has little bits of wisdom and small exercises that uh, that are really useful. And it's, it's a very slim, unintimidating little book that's called Good to Me. Shannon, Curtis, thank you um, for this beautiful book and for this conversation and for being another bright and beautiful extra bloom for the morning glory project. I so appreciate you. Bessie. I love talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. My conversation today, my extra blooms conversation today with Shannon Curtis really struck 
personal chord for me. I know that a lot of people have struggled in different ways for different reasons during the pandemic, during political unrest of the last number of years. And and for some people, the pain was practical. They didn't have jobs. They didn't know how they were going to pay their bills. They may have lost their homes. Some people had immediate losses of loved ones, family members in convalescent homes that they didn't get to say goodbye to before they left the earth. Those are huge uh, experiences. And I have to tell you, I was spared much of that. But to still be a sensitive and thinking and feeling person in troubled times is not an easy thing to do, but I think an important thing to do. And Shannon's music, as well as the strategies and practices that she offers in Good to Me, are super helpful for those of us trying to to remain sensitive, loving individuals that come from a place of abundance, healing, strength, and peace, rather than fear and loss and worry. So that's some extra, extra blooms from Shannon Curtis. I hope that you'll take those as inspiration for your own sense of peace and your own sense of healing and your own capacity to bloom. Mm -hmm.